Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. Forbes magazine published an article last spring by a leadership consultant by the name of Chris Sabollero. In the article, Chris lists six things that we need to do if we want to leave a positive legacy. Here you go, take notes. So uh, this is all you need to do. He said, add value for people every day. So make sure that, that people know they're important when they're around you. Secondly, he said, treat people with kindness, including the waiter or waitress at the restaurant. He talked about a uh, business leader for one big Fortune 500 company that, uh, that he would often take uh, new potential hires for upper management out to a restaurant. He would arrive early at the restaurant and talk to the restaurant manager and tell the restaurant manager to mess up the order of the person that he was uh, bringing to dinner so that he could see how the individual would, would react to the order being uh, wrong. Would he uh, react with kindness to those who, uh, who brought the order? He said, concentrate on making a difference in your life. He said, build the needed skills, things like emotional intelligence, clear communication, good listening, and empathy. Fifth, he said, remind yourself of how much time you have left. And then lastly, he said, be responsible and accountable. Now, I read that list, I think that's, that's not bad. It's a good list. It's a, those are goals. Those are things that we should strive for in life. But I had to remember that Forbes magazine is a business. It's a leadership publication. It's not a religious publication. But I read from this list as a follower of Jesus, and I can't help but see that there's something important that's missing. Those are all good. Those are all positive things. I think we all agree those are things we should strive to be doing in our relationships, in our interaction with other people. But I was thinking about this, that when the PS of my life is written, when, when, the, when the body has been filled out, when the body of the letter has been filled out and we get to the end and we think, what's the one thing I need to say at the end? The one thing that I want people to know at the end. What's the one thing I want to say? I, I don't want to be known as somebody who was kind or somebody who was a difference maker. What I want to be known for in the PS of my life when everything else has been said and done is that he was committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the thing that will matter the most for eternity is not how nice I was or, or, or any of those things. What will matter most is how, how, much of a, how, how committed was I to the person of Jesus. Because honestly, if I'm being faithful to Jesus, then guess what? I'm going to be kind to other people. If I'm being faithful to Jesus and I'm going to be investing in others, all those are, are hallmarks of what it means to be a Christian. But all those hallmarks of being a good person that this leadership consultant mentions, there's one thing that all those hallmarks lack. None of those things will get you into heaven. None of those things will get you from this life into eternal life. None of those things will be good enough to get you into the right side of eternity. And let me say this, none of those things will help point the next generation to Christ either if we don't see those things birthed out of a commitment to follow Jesus. We get to the end of the book of Joshua. Joshua has challenged the nation. We talked about it last week. We, we talked about the fact that the nation, you have two choices. You can follow idols or you can follow the Lord. Those are your only two choices. But Joshua declares, as for me and my house... 
We will follow the Lord. He doesn't boast about his accomplishments. He doesn't boast about the things that he has seen. He doesn't boast about any of those things. When it comes to the end of his life, Joshua makes one of the most important statements in the Old Testament. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at the brief P.S. of Joshua's life at the very end of chapter 24 this morning. We'll be in Joshua 24, beginning in verse 29. I would invite you to stand with me if you're able as we read these words here from Joshua chapter 24, beginning in verse 29. After these things, when everything's said and done, when the life of Joshua comes to a close, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath-Serah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the works that the Lord did for Israel. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem, in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money, it became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And Eliezer, the son of Aaron, died, and they buried him at Gibeah, the town of Phinehas, his son, which had been given him in the hill country of Ephraim. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a brief postscript to bring this book to a conclusion. I thank you for the life of Joshua, for his character, for his faith, for his influence, not only on those who came after him, but even as his life continues to influence us today. We thank you for these precious, precious words. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Man, what a life this guy had. I've said this a couple of times, but but Joshua is one of the few characters in the Old Testament that doesn't have a huge amount of spiritual baggage. Uh, So many of the heroes of the faith that we talk about, they they had red marks on their resume. I think about Noah. Noah, again, I mean, you think what Noah did. Noah saved civilization. But what was the last thing Noah does in the Bible that we know about? He passes out drunk and naked in his tent. That's the last thing Noah does in the the Bible. And so, so again, he, he doesn't end in all that great of a fashion. But he's a hero of our faith, nonetheless. He was obedient to the Lord, but he wasn't perfect. Abraham has a red mark on his resume. If you go look, you find out about Hagar and Ishmael. Again, Abraham, not Lincoln. Abraham was a faithful man. He served the Lord. He was, he was faithful and obedient to God, but he tried to rush God. He tried to push, force God's hand, and, and it created long-term problems. Moses, of course, had a list of indiscretions in his life. He had blood on his hands from committing murder out of rage. He he was disobedient to the Lord in the wilderness. And so Moses had red marks on his resume, even though he was faithful and goes down as one of our heroes. David, of course, was God's friend. But David not only had Bathsheba, he also had the murder that he he committed as a result of Bathsheba. And so even King David, the, the great psalmist of our Bible, the songwriter of our Bible, had red marks on his resume. Again, Joshua wasn't perfect. We know Joshua wasn't perfect, but the Bible doesn't really give us any of his significant sin issues. They're just not given to us. They're not reported to us. And so if we were to attend Joshua's funeral, we would no doubt hear about the life of General Joshua. We'd hear about his military accomplishments. We would hear about what he did when he was leading the nation. We would no doubt hear about his faith. 
We would hear about his obedience to the Lord. We would certainly hear about Joshua's willingness to do hard things because that's what God said to do. And so the nation has Joshua's funeral and they bury him in the land that was his inheritance. And then we get this incredible little postscript about Joshua's life. 24 verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had done all the work that the Lord did for Israel. That's great. Man, at my funeral say that. My children love the Lord. My grandchildren serve the Lord. The people who came after me were faithful to Jesus. Say that, call it a day, put me in the ground and be done because I'm gonna be with Jesus and I'm gonna see how beautiful he is. Man, what a great ending. And that leads to what I wanna say today is that the greatest thing that we can leave behind when our lives are said and done, when the, when the period comes at the end of our story, the greatest thing we can leave behind is faithfulness. I saw a sticker one time on the side of a pretty expensive boat, and it said, I'm spending my kid's inheritance. And I'm sure, what, uh, I'm sure that the kids who ever owned the boat appreciated the notion. I hope at least he left the boat to the kids in the will. But the reality is that we are so frequently thinking about these matters. We have estates planning and insurance policies and all of these pathways to leave behind financial resources to our descendants unless you're, of course, spending them on boats and things like that. We, we have so many avenues to try to leave behind these, these tangible things. We have so many ways to leave behind these things that we can hold, these things that we can spend, these things that we can play with, these things that, that don't go in the ground with us. There's so many ways to do this. But the Bible doesn't really make a big deal about Joshua at his death. It doesn't talk about the stuff that all of his descendants received. You know Joshua was probably wealthy as, a, as the leader. You know that he had, he had land. You know Joshua was, was well-to-do in, in, in light of his, his, his position. But we don't get that. Instead, we get the simple statement that at the end of Joshua's life that the people who came after him followed the Lord. Again, I hope I can leave my children with something someday. But what I'm really most concerned about is their souls not their bank accounts. You know, various iterations of these statistics have been around for a while now. When we look at the role of faith in each subsequent generation, and we know the generations, we talk about the greatest generation, the silent generation, we talk about boomers, we talk about Gen X, we talk about millennials, and now we talk about today's generation, Gen Z, or, Gen Z, or, or, or Zoomers, as, uh, as they'll call me a boomer. I'm not even a boomer, by the way. Uh, and he'll call me that because that's the cool thing to say to somebody that's older than you. And so I just retort that he's a Zoomer. And so, uh, um, and that eye roll really makes me want to do it more. <laughs> we see various path, this, this graph showing up in various ways. Throw that on the screen. This particular graph comes from Pew Research Center. It's generic because it shows the importance of religion in each subsequent generation. The dark blue is, of course, the, the, the statistic. And the bottom is the greatest generation, and then it goes up to the younger millennials. We don't have stats on Zoomers yet because they're not, young, they're not old enough to uh, report on, on these things yet. This is a, a condemning chart. 
And again, it shows up in all kinds of different shapes and forms, and the question is always something about the importance of faith, the importance of God, the importance of, of, of those things, and every subsequent generation answers the question with less and less and less significant. Of course, the greatest generation, those who came through World War II and the Great Depression, you don't have to be a statistician to understand how to put a trend line on that data. You don't have to think real hard to stick that trend line up there because what this data sadly communicates is that there is something happening where we are not passing our faith to the next generation. We are not communicating the importance of our faith to the next generation. The prophet Malachi actually tells us God's very much concerned about this. In Malachi chapter 2, God is rebuking the people. He raises a concern about the Israelites not taking their covenant responsibility seriously to the next generation. And in Malachi chapter 2 verse 15, the prophet actually says that God desires godly offspring. God is very much concerned that the generations who come after us, that we are influencing them to be servants of the Most High, that we are leading them to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, church. We have a God-given responsibility to raise the next generation, to love the Lord, and to grow in their faithfulness to Him. If we are taking our job seriously, then the trend line would be reversed and that the next generation would be more faithful than the current generation because we are taking those instructions so very, very seriously. As Christians, we often talk about the Great Commission and think about the Great Commission and we wanna take mission trips and do missionary work and we wanna take the gospel to third world countries and developing countries and I'm not saying for a second that we shouldn't be doing that. Hear me in that. There's a clear component to that but I want you to hear me here. While the Great Commission calls us to go to the ends of the earth, the Great Commission starts in our homes. It starts in our schools. It starts in our very own kids' ministry and our student ministry. The Great Commission begins here in the things that we can touch, the people we can talk to, the places that we see on a daily basis. We'll take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but we better make sure that we don't skip our own households to get the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I think about this in our culture today. Just think for a second. We invest untold fortunes and countless hours in our children's athletic, artistic, and academic accomplishments. Parents, just think about how much time you've spent driving to this game or that game, this practice or that practice. Parents, think of how much time you've spent studying with your child for that test or working on that project that's due tomorrow. Parents, think about the time, the effort, the energy, the money that you've spent trying to help your child be successful in athletics. And how that compares to the amount of effort we invest in their faith. How do those resources compare to the resources we are using to help them grow in the fear and knowledge of the Lord? I can assure you, when you die, when you were laying in a hospital bed and you, were, you know your last breaths are coming, at that moment, you are not worried about how athletic your children are. 
you were not going to worry about how high their GPA was. In that moment, the thing you're going to be most concerned about is do they love the Lord or not? I find it interesting that Joshua ends by revisiting Joseph. That comes out of left field, right? We haven't talked about Joseph in forever. And here at the end of Joshua, Joseph comes back to surface. And it turns out they've been toting his bones around this whole time. They brought Joseph's bones out of Egypt, and they've been carrying Joseph's bones around the whole time, waiting for the promised land to be conquered so they could put Joseph's bones in the ground. I thought about that. I said, why did Joseph show back up? Like, why, why did we bring him back up here? What, what in the world's going on? And I think Joseph is here to help reinforce a very important truth. If we are not diligent to do our job, there will come a generation that is no longer faithful. That trend line's pointing in that direction. One of the most consequential verses about Joseph isn't about his time with Potiphar or his time in prison. It's not about his ability to interpret dreams or any of those things. It's not about his administration in Egypt and how he saves the world through, through that incredible plan that God gave him. One of the most consequential verses about Joseph isn't even found in the book of Genesis. One of the most consequential verses about Joseph is over in Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. The Bible says this, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Took some time, but it happened. Joseph's story was told from generation to generation. People remembered what, jo what Joseph did. People heard the story, but there came a day where there was a king who was brought into the throne who said, who is Joseph? And as a consequence of that forgetfulness, of missing that, of not knowing that, God's people suffered tremendously because along came a generation that did not know the story of faith from the man named Joseph. Joshua ends with the people faithfully serving the Lord. I love what Joshua, how Joshua ends. The people were serving the Lord. The elders who came after Joshua were, were serving the Lord. They served faithfully for a long time, but at some point in time, they took for granted that their children would do likewise. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the book of Judges begins this dark spiral of brief obedience followed by gross disobedience. Now, we don't get any sort of diagnosis about what might have caused the problem here. We can extrapolate that there was idolatry and there were failures in those regards. I don't think we need a diagnosis. I think we see the same thing happening in our day and time. We see the same graphic. We see the same trend line happening where every subsequent generation is drifting further and further away from faithfulness to Jesus. How did it happen? I think one, we grew complacent. It'll happen on its own. There's nobody else competing for their minds, their attention, their heart. There's no other messages that they're, that, that's trying to lead them in a contrary direction. It's fine. They'll go to church. They'll go to Sunday school. They'll learn all the stories. It'll be fine. You see, it's not. We forget our responsibilities. We pursue other things, and we neglect those things which are most important. I think in our context, we allow consumerism to dominate so much of our thinking. 
What's in it for me? What am I going to get out of it? And this will always, always have consequences. We look around our world today. It's easy to be overwhelmed with the magnitude of the problems we're facing. We've got violence in our streets, drugs running rampant, rampant perversion and confusion among so many. It's easy to be overwhelmed by the scope of our challenges. You don't want to watch the news anymore because the news just says it's too big. You can't fix it. There's no way to solve the problem. So just put up the fence and keep everybody out so we can focus on us and not worry about it. But listen, we are not responsible for fixing all the problems in the world. When you watch the news, you're not responsible for fixing everything that's broken, every element of corruption. It's not your responsibility to worry about which president hid top secret documents in what location. You don't need to worry about it. We can't worry about it. But I'll tell you what we can do. We can put our hands to the plow and we can point people to Jesus in our own backyard. We can make sure that the next generation in Walker and Catoosa counties understand who Jesus is and what he has done. But in order to do that, it's going to take our time and our treasure. We worry about legacy, and this is what our legacy must be. Are we leaving a faithful generation behind? Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.